A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wagwan, everyone. Thank you for listening to The DNA Airwaves. Today's episode is brought to you by The DNA Project, your entertainment agency. Want to learn more about this great company and what they do? Then please visit thednaproject.ca to learn more. It's also brought to you by the MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Please visit the-mpl, that's maple without the vowels, .com for more details. We are joined today with tour manager and engineer extraordinaire Jason Reynolds. Jason started out in the industry at a very young age and worked his way up the ranks to working with some of the biggest stars in North America, including Grammy Award-winning artist Shaggy, Coffee, Luther Vandross, and many more. In addition to engineering and being a tour manager for huge acts, Jason is also an instructor at the Metalworks Studio, one of Canada's premier entertainment art schools located right here in the GTA. On this episode, we talk to Jason about how he's adjusted to a world without live shows and get into some in-depth conversations about musical production from a much more technical perspective. It's a great listen for anyone with an in-home studio or anyone really interested in learning a bit more about recording in general. It's always a great chat talking to Jason, and we hope you guys enjoy it too. This is the DNA Airwaves. Morning, everybody. There you go. Hey! Let me get into character. Is someone... Jay, are you frozen or are you praying? I think he's... uh, That's a serious meditation. Yeah, I thought he was praying too. I was like, (laughs) he's so still right now. I thought he was just praying real quick before the podcast. Before we go on to this podcast... Just use me to say the right things to you at this moment. I know my mouth ain't He's moving. He's not recording right now either, though. So I wish this whole him. thing was recording because this is hilarious. It's not recording. This is, I think people will be able to see the all video where he's kind of still. There he oh, is. Oh, he's back. back. Oh, there you go. That's yeah, a serious recording. meditation, man. That's pretty yeah, funny. It, it's like as soon as you guys hit the record button, y'all just disappeared. I'm like, what? Oh, no. Oh, wow. I'm good dumb. I didn't know we were recording, actually. I was just... Uh, yeah, we well, were. As soon as it started, he kind of went into. I thought he was praying, so I was just like, wasn't saying anything. And then you and I, went, I went ahead and uh, I said the words of your prayer as I assumed you'd be praying them. So that's, that's there. That's there. We might use that. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. In any case, man, great to have you. Um, looking yes. forward to a great chat with you, Master Engineer. You are. Um, so there's a lot of questions I have, and I think that we'll all have about the current conditions of things, what you've been up to, and then just some probably deeper questions on engineering, what that even is to be a sound engineer. Um, You have a really cool background as far as artists that you work with on a high level. I'll just drop a few names like Shaggy and Magic for, uh, to name a few. Um, But before we even get into it, can you just maybe give us an explanation in your own terms of what a sound engineer is? Um, I, you know, different people have a different, um, a different, a different definition of, of what it is a, a sound engineer, an audio engineer is. But I mean, at the root of it, you're making stuff sound good, really and truly. That is basically what it is. So um, I, I often liken it to baking a cake, right? You know, when you're baking a right. cake, you got to take all these ingredients and combine them in just the right amount of cinnamon, just the right amount of flour, just right, right. the right number of eggs to make yeah. this cake taste good. Um, that's the same mm. thing you're doing as an audio engineer. You're taking the right amount of kick drum, the right amount of snare, and, and combining it tastefully to, to make a really nice cake. So, I mean, I, I mean, the real question is, though, is, is, is this going to be on video? Because my hair is like... <laughs> 
hard. It is now. No, man. You have, <laughs> looks good to me, man. The lighting's working, but it's yeah. just audio. Jeez. But thank you. Thank That's you just for, for us so we can communicate better. We <laughs> <laughs> have to leave the like, picture now. It's yeah. the way of the COVID world, bro. You, you roll out of bed and do a podcast. I mean, that's it, man. So, speaking it. of the way of COVID, um, <laughs> how's life now for you? What's different? Because you are a live engineer mostly, right? Um, I actually do. I'm actually very comfortable in the studio. So, I studied Excellent. recording engineering. It's just that I'm live, is, I'm more passionate about live sound. Um, there's something about mixing for thousands of people and, um, you know, standing in front of a big PA that kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's more, you know, call me call me shallow, but it's it's more instant gratification, right? Like when you mix a record, um, you might not get any gratification until months after, right? Because it comes out, then it takes time to build up steam because, I don't know, I'm mixing a lot of massive label records that have massive budgets that go number one in the first week so <laughs> you right, know it's right, kind of right. like it's it's kind of like um a little bit delayed gratification which i'm okay with but um yeah i'm just i'm just more passionate about live this has always been my passion I, i like standing in front of a big pa but i am i am um one of the engineers at metalworks studios so i do i do do a lot of work there um i work predominantly in studio two there um on the ssl the 80 input 40G, 4080G plus console, which is like my favorite. So, but it's funny when I'm mixing in there, I mix a lot on the mains because, you know, a live guy needs to be, <laughs> need it loud. Need so, loud. Um, yeah. but yeah, COVID, let me translate that for our listeners real quick. Yeah. So, a, an SSL, uh, is it an E or a G? It's e, a, you G. Said? a G. It's a G. A anyway, yeah. uh, it, it uh, has been the staple of how up until computers came into play, it has been a staple of modern music from the 80s and on when it comes to recording and compiling everything together in the studio. And the mains refers to a different selection of speakers you have in the studio um, that you basically listen through to get different perspectives of what's going on. And the mains are these big monitors that only big fancy studios have that are <laughs> in a way similar to big live speakers, although they, they yeah. might be a bit flatter. And that gives you more of that experience of mixing in a live situation. Yeah. And if I right? may also interject, um, and the G is not a thousand dollars, Dariki. That's not what you know. It's a lot more than a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> 200 okay. of those thousands. <laughs> Often a quarter million dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I guess getting back to, um, you know, like with COVID, I've always been like, um, I was fortunate to have some great mentors throughout my career that taught me the value of having like multiple streams of income and being a multidimensional engineer. So, so having right. skills in different areas. So I've been able to pivot um i mean i'm a i'm an account manager at soundbox productions so that still continues oh, okay. i do a lot of design and and install um especially in houses of worship so that continues to be a be an earning source um i'm teaching nice. um nowadays at metalworks institute um, oh, i'm great. teaching in the live zone course i teach three courses there live recording and mixing um, show systems, show production systems, the lab, the workshop, and then I also teach um, audio signal processing, so nice. which is like EQing and compression and gating and all of that fancy stuff. Last time we talked, uh, we had a bit of a chat about the difference between a live engineer and a studio engineer, and as a person that does both, I think you have the best perspective to tell us. So what's really uh, f for those of us who don't know and those of us who do know, what differences can you tell us um, about both the, the lifestyle, the work, and the actual result differences right. between live and studio? Well, let's start with like the actual technical side of it, right? So the, the major difference is not in terms of mixing, but in terms of the treatment of that mix. So oftentimes, again, going back to the baking analogy, right? Um, a good cake is a good cake, right? The difference is though the, the oven, right? So different ovens, like one oven might heat a little bit hotter. So to, to bake the cake, you might only put that oven at 300 degrees, whereas another oven might require that cake to be baked at 425, 
right? right. Or right. a shorter period of time, right? The, the oven is what changes, but the combination of ingredients are still the same. Got In this right? analogy, who's the listener? Who's the listener? The person who's going to eat the cake at the end. <laughs> ah, okay. Right? So the person eating the cake, right? I'm so the engineer that. is the baker, right? Um, the oven now is whether or not you're mixing through a PA or through studio monitors, right? It's just the treatment that is different. But a great mix is still a great mix, whether or not you're live or in studio. Um, how you come by that's a little bit different because nowadays, um, live sound, you have a console, but most people who are doing studio mixing, whether or not they're mixing at home or like you just mentioned, is doing it in the computer, in the box. So it's, it's very plug-in heavy versus live sound. You can have a great mix without using any plugins because you have an actual physical console. Um, I am still a big fan of having an actual physical console. I mix in the studio on a console, um, the SSL that we just talked about. So, so a lot of that is the same, but like I said, it's the, the it's just the oven that's different. Um, but now in terms of lifestyle, obviously, um, studio, you're nine times out of the 10 in one place, you know, you're, you're not traveling, a, most of us anyway, aren't traveling around the world, mixing in different studios. You just kind of have, whether it be at home or a, or a major studio, which I have a studio at home, but then I also have the major studio that I work at. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's being home more, um, not running around the globe like a mad person, is the major difference in lifestyle, right? So. Yeah. And how does that yeah. feel after doing it for so many years, just being uh, forced to stop like this? I mean, it feels good. I'm old, man. I'm ready to. I'm, I don't need to be. I don't need to be catching 5 a.m. flights right now. I'm good. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's yeah. good. It's 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 good to be home. It's, I have kids too, so it's it's. Um, good to be home with the family, wife and kids, right? So it, it's a it's yes. a welcome change. And I don't I don't really I mean I do want to stand in front of I miss being in front of a big PA and, and hopefully we can get this thing under control soon. My mother got her vaccine, her first vaccine shot this morning because she's a registered nurse. So pretty excited about that. I'm I'm like walking around with my hand stuck out waiting for somebody to stick me with a needle <laughs> i'd be like here's the vaccine Whoop. i'm like yeah i'm ready right now let's go be careful what part of town you're doing that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. thankfully i live in orange in mono not even orangeville i live out in the country so I so about, about that feeling of the monitors so one challenge that studio engineers have is that the speakers we listen to are not, in most cases, the speakers that the audience is going to listen to. Um, so there's a, a different layer of trying to guess what your consumer has uh, and try to to make it sound as good in, in a lot of different places. With live, uh, and interject and correct me at any point, when you're working on live, you're concerned with the sound in that place where you are right? right and and that's uh, uh, for that reason live shows usually the live engineer mixes the live show and then if it's released let's say uh f for for viewership with a video there's a separate mix that's done and, and and one of the things is that when you're working live you're working loud um and since we all have safety and protection on our minds now with masks and stuff how do you protect your ears? Because I'm assuming you want to do this for a long time. And there's, I mean, yeah. there's, there are no glasses for your ears, at least not ones that work <laughs> like glasses yeah. do. Right. Um, for me, I'm, I'm a JH Audio artist endorser. So shout out to JH Audio. And they, they um, make the best in-ear monitors on the planet. Um, Jerry Harvey is an absolute legend. Um, so they also make hearing protection. So, um, there's custom molded hearing protection, so you can get custom molded earplugs. Mine have a 15 dB filter in there. So it just lowers the sound by 15 dB, but keeps the dB being decibels for those lay people watching, but it lowers the sound by 15 decibels, but it sounds exactly the same. So whereas typical earplugs block out a lot of high end, this is like, mm. It lowers it. Now I, I don't sound more muffled. Yeah, um, I know I don't mix with them in because uh, you don't have to worry too much. Most times I'm not mixing a show that's longer than 75 to 90 minutes. So that level of exposure at um, at a, at 100 dB is not per doesn't necessarily it won't cause permanent damage. Like it's it's 
pretty safe to to listen at that level for um and 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 remember there's dynamics in the show it's not like it's consistent pounding of 100 db over 75 right. minutes True. right um songs and on the um, band right so <laughs> but it's it's more so like as soon as i'm done mixing if i'm at a festival or in a loud environment i pop my um plugs in and i'm and i'm taking care of these these two gems that i have here but yeah that's definitely um definitely important your hearing protection is is incredibly important what made you want to even start um in the profession of engineering that's a good question i didn't think it could be like a real profession because that's just how i was raised you know like um i was raised in a traditional jamaican home um yeah right so my parents, like, when I told my parents I wanted to go into music, my mom would, like, didn't even respond. Like, she just walked out the room. <laughs> Kiss her <laughs> teeth. <laughs> you just want to idle. That is your problem. You don't want to get a real job. You just want to idle from morning till evening. Right? So I I was like, um, you know, I never, I never really thought it could be. I just always had a love for music, though, you know, and I'm not. Yeah. Um, I, I don't play, I, I found playing to be really tedious. Like I did piano lessons, mm. um, did theory, I did theory all the way up. I finished um, Royal Conservatory of Music Theory. Um, but after a while, I just found playing to be very tedious. And then I fell in love with like doing sound just kind of by accident in church. Um, right. So it wasn't really that I had a game plan to be a professional engineer. I think it was just a series of, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, so I, I believe that, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says the steps of a righteous man are ordered. So I believe that nothing in your life happens by chance, um, right. that everything is a culmination of, of God's plan for your life. If you believe that, mm-hmm. I mean, some people don't, that's cool, but that's just what I believe. So I, I just believe that um, over the course of my life, when I look back at life too, I can see where certain things were just orchestrated to get me to the point where I am right now. So I, I it, it's not really that I, there was a, I mean, there was a point where I decided that it was going to be a career, but yeah, I was just um, going to ask you that what you know was what the I mean? exact moment. I think it was, uh, well, when I moved to Canada, I was going to university studying commerce and I was okay. in a, one of my elective courses was um, Java C plus programming. Okay. And it was being taught by this really Asian guy. <laughs> and I was fresh from Jamaica. Wait, at the time. really Asian? So, Is that what like, you said? Yeah, bro. Like, like, like that, the accent was like sick. Just oh, like how you. people call me really Jamaican. You know gotcha. what I mean? Okay, I understand. Um, <laughs> but so, so I was sitting in this class, fresh from Jamaica. Can't even, as far as I'm concerned, like, Everybody in this country is crazy because it was August and it was 17 <laughs> degrees outside and I was wearing a parka. Oh, I, I, listen, I never experienced under 24 degrees in my entire life at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I'm sitting in this class and I can't understand a word this guy is saying. I'm like, bro, <laughs> like this, this don't even make sense, bro. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. while I'm sitting there in the class, I get an email. I'll never forget it. I, I, I got an email from um, Metalworks to say that they were starting a school. Now, it was kind of interesting because while I was still living in Jamaica, I had heard about Trebus and had applied. I never got uh, a response. Like It was just like it fell through the cracks. Destiny. Um, and I That's destiny. Yeah, and I didn't really. And apparently, some of the people who started Metalworks Institute were part of the Trebus Trebus um, faculty. So, oh, so okay. I, I guess that's how they got my email. But anyway, I got this email saying, "Hey, we're starting a school. You should come down." And I think two days later, I drove down to Mississauga and um, took a look around the studio, and I was sold. At that time. To be honest, I had a fairly strong background already in live engineering, like I'd been mixing some right. big shows. But um, it, to me, like because my parents were so um, were so, they're big on academia, right? So, so like they wanted me to have some sort of qualification. It's like it's not just right. okay to build a studio and try a thing. Like if you're gonna do this, then there needs to be some sort of qualification 
backing what you're doing. That 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 was yeah. always my parents' philosophy. Mainly my mom. My dad was just like, yeah, whatever your mom says. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. So it's like um, when when I discovered um, the studio and was like, oh, I could learn recording engineering. It's something I at that point never really ventured into the studio. Um, so I saw it as a as a great opportunity. One to learn the studio side, which would again make me more of a multi-dimensional audio guy. Even if it was a part-time thing, at least I could, you know, operate in both areas. And then, and then mm-hmm. the fact that they were offering a diploma, which is still like the highest you can get right now. You can't get a degree here in Canada anyway. Um, I just thought it was a great, a great idea to do that. And that's kind of the point where going through that program at MetalWorks kind of allowed me to see that it was possible, you know, that there were actually people, um, actually people doing do, doing this full time and that was like a big deal you know like building that belief and and things so what year was this that was 2005 okay okay i was i, I think I, i'm pretty sure i was the first student enrolled there wow really? like they didn't even have wow. classrooms at the time like no if you go there's like lecture halls and all these classrooms and yeah, back yeah. then we just had class in the studio <laughs> there was like no there was no like classrooms or you know yeah. it was, mm. it showed up at metalworks you know, is, is one of the real the real schools so it, it's cool to talk to one of the insiders because um, yeah. in the arts unfortunately it, it it's um easier to open a school um without like you can't open a medical school without doctors teaching you know what i mean uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because this is not something you get a license for. It's not always. Um, you can't always be certain in the arts that the school you're going to, the dance school or art school or anything else, is is legitimate yeah. unless you ask around. Yeah. Um, which makes me think of something else. I've been looking a lot more at current online tutorials um, mm-hmm. that are supposed to be, you know, starting fresh, but. It already feels to me like had I not gone to school, I wouldn't understand half of what they were saying. So the the value of going to school for something like this, uh, even if it's uh, quote unquote artsy and you feel like it should just come from the heart, I uh, can't stress enough the importance of, of learning this stuff. There's physics involved and it's important to have uh, somebody like yourself explain it. Mm-hmm. Before moving on, you kind of need to go to school to know how to understand these tutorials is kind of how I'm looking at it. College today is just teaching you how to use Google properly in a way, (laughs) which is not, it's not a simple skill. Right. True. And and I mean, I'm big on academia, man. Like academics, I think, plays a very important part in legitimizing what we do from the music, from a music industry standpoint. Um, And there's some importance to that. There's because think about how many talented people may have been turned off from this industry because there was no academic um, standard yeah. to to it, right? Um, yep. Because you see, we glamorize we glamorize artists and musicians, right? Musicians go to yeah. school. Yeah. Like musicians have to learn their that craft, and a lot of that involves whether it be lessons with a private tutor or going to an actual music school. Like when you look at Humber and Berkeley College of Music and it's like a legitimate thing. So, but what about yeah. the rest of the industry? There is a whole bunch of jobs surrounding supporting musicians and artists that are also, if not more technical. So why, why isn't academics as important for engineers for stage managers, for for whoever, like for for whoever that is gonna be that building block or that supporting structure to the career of an of of of, a, of an artist. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it 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 I think it's very important. I I stress it when people hit me up on Instagram and and say, hey bro, how do I get into this industry? I go to school, like that. Go learn it. I mean, what better way to learn? Like, if you're going to try and sit down and pick up things here and there, because like you said, even watching a... Sometimes I watch YouTube tutorials and I have to call friends of mine and be like, what are they talking about, bro? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They're not really independent study a lot of the time. So so it's like, yeah, I'm big on... I'm I'm big on the academics for sure. What do you enjoy more, teaching or, um, or, or mixing? Um... I mean, the simple answer would be mixing. 
um, I my philosophy is is that um, when you teach, you actually learn a lot more than you impart yeah. because yeah. because when you teach, you have to be intentional, right? So, for example, right. take a simple example. For years, I've been walking up to a console and EQing a kick drum. I never really stopped to think about what I was doing, right? And then I yeah. have to now explain it to a kid who's never done it before. So I got to break right, it right. down into parts that's simple to understand. And I'm starting to think about, and then I'm starting and going, you know, you've been doing this for years and it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you really need to. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think to me, like the teaching aspect is making me a better engineer. Mm, um, right. I have kids I'm mentoring now, or not even just kids, like people, young people I'm mentoring that I sit in on mixes, you know, um, you know, nowadays you have apps that you can load a plugin in and I can be in Canada and I got to be in a studio right. in Jamaica mixing and I'm sitting in and listening to the mix and giving pointers and going on TeamViewer and logging into his Pro Tools and helping him make changes and stuff like that. Wow. Like, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm learning more and I'm becoming better just by having to explain certain things like because everybody is asking you why you know why are you doing this why do you yeah why do you use that compressor or what's your favorite compressor and being able to explain being having to explain well it depends like if i'm compressing this or i'm going for this sound or I'm, then i use this right like it it just makes you, yeah. me better because i'm being more intentional which i think is huge yeah for sure so, so there's one more aspect of mixing that I was curious about, and I know you do a lot of work with um, houses of worship, churches, whatever it is. Um, these last 10 months have really showed us a different side where it almost feels like it's more of a TV mindset as far as the production because of the live streaming. And to mm -hmm. me, that seems like an area that most, a lot of people that I am familiar with, as far as I know, weren't ready for or just aren't really familiar with. So how do you approach a live stream mix versus the other live, regular live mix or even studio mix? Um, again, it it's, it's comes down to that A word approach, right? Um, yeah. Like really and truly mixing is about approach. Mixing is 90% psychology and 10% faders and knobs, right? Really? So, okay. yeah. so it, it, Effective mixers have a, have an approach, a, a psychology behind their mix. So this is why I do what I do. And, and here's right. the science to back it up, right? That, that's 90% of mixing. Ten, the other 10% is actually executing it, which a lot of times is just mu muscle memory. Like it's just turning knobs and pushing faders is muscle memory, right? Um, yeah. so, so I don't think that really changes in... in, in um, in mixing for a live stream where we are different, like at Faith Sanctuary where I'm the technical director, um, the, the approach is to mix for the stream. If you're using one console, let's say, like a lot of churches don't have the budget to have a separate broadcast console, right? Right. Um, then you have, to, you have to close down that environment. Um, so what we do, what our guys, I teach our guys to do is build a mix in the headphones. Right, mix it okay. for the broadcast. Make sure it's something because we listen. We know this based on how the PA interacts with the room and bleed. And you might be mixing in the room, and the snare drum is fine because your uh, half of it is the the, the actual um, acoustic volume coming off of the stage. So you don't have a lot of snare drum in your PA because there's so much snare drum in the room. So to sure. your ears, the snare drum is fine. But then when you mix, when you listen to the broadcast, you're like, man, there's no snare drum or there's no overhead. Right, right. So what we teach our guys to do is, um, first and foremost, build a mix in your headphones or in near field monitors, like whatever would be like, close the room down, shrink the size of the room, basically. And that's important yeah. for us because we're in a building that seats 2300, right? So right. shrink the room down, build a mix in your headphones, then just turn on the PA if you, if you need the PA. Like right now, we don't have an audience, so we're running broadcast only. We leave the PA off. There's no real need to have PA and causing bleed, bounce back into the microphones and ambient noise and all of this stuff. Just turn the PA off, mix more mm -hmm. of the broadcast, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just make sure if, you're, if, if your PA is well-tuned and it's neutral, um, then if the mix sounds good in here, it's going to translate into the PA. Like when you turn on that PA, the PA is going to be rocking. 
And then it's just a matter of setting the, the overall volume of the PA, turning up or down. But but like I said in the beginning, a good mix is a good mix, whether or not it's right. in a in a broadcast setting or or not, right? So the key is right. shrinking the size of the room down. So for people who are listening, they go, All right, well I'm I can't I can't get my mix to sound good in a broadcast. First thing I tell people to do is mute the PA. Mm-hmm. Like mute the PA and listen to it in headphones. Get a good pair of headphones, build a mix in the headphones, and I guarantee you, if it sounds good in the headphones and it sounds good on the broadcast, yeah. then open back up your PA. It's gonna sound good. Perfect. Fair enough. So when you turn the PA back on, are you uh-huh. effectively re- re- uh, reversing some of the work that you've done in, in your mix? Just as far as now. I mean, depending on the volume of the PA, are you now worried about having bleed come back in from this um, PA that's running into the mics? It's, no, not not really. Like, I mean, if your PA is hung properly, like if it's if it's, I don't I don't think so. I've I've never really. Re- I, I mean, you can yes, but then but then if you're having so much bleed, then likely your PA is too loud. Just too loud, okay. Right, so it's a turn gotcha. it down. Like I mean, it, gotcha. it's like I, I I don't know the obsession with people mixing like really loudly. I I, I especially in a church environment, um, and people will will kind of fight me on this. If it's a concert, yeah, sure, I'm mixing at like a hundred dB um, normally, and I mix really loud. But in a church environment, um, I'm trying to make people comfortable, so it's not about it's not about being overly loud or um, too like thumping your chest out. It's it's about creating a distraction-free environment. So um, and PA too loud, even if it's well tuned, can be a distraction. So I tend to mix in church somewhere in and around 95 dB, 90 to 95. Um, and that's another important thing. I think if you're a front of house engineer, especially in a church, you should have a you should have some sort sort of SPL meter. Um, you you should know sorry? what you're mixing at. That's a sound pressure level um, meter. It just tells you the decibel level, um, and you can set them to average. So um, one of the mistakes people make is that they're reading peaks, which is a really quick reading. I actually right. set mine to average, or what we call LEQ, over over 15 minutes. So it's actually telling me what's the average of the the decibel level over 15 minutes. So we try to mix our church somewhere in and around 95 with peaks at 97. And and I, I mean, every church is different. If you go to a church like Elevation, they mix at 100. But that's their MO, right? Like mine, yeah. mine's different. So that that's what I would say. But even in a situation like Elevation, they're running that PA at 100 and 100, 105. And you're not really hearing that on the broadcast. You're not hearing that bounce back just because, you know what I mean? It's It's... But they also have like a separate broadcast desk, right? So I think I think it's important to if you're only using one desk, um, like if you're feeding your broadcast mix from your front of house desk, which is most churches, then you have to decide what you're mixing for. Are you mixing for the room or are you mixing for the broadcast? Right? And I think in these times you probably should be mixing from for the broadcast because you likely have, even when we were allowed to have thirty percent capacity, you have more people watching online than you have in the room. So True, I would true. say put your focus on where the weight is heavier, right? If you got more people mm. watching online, then make sure the online mix is rocking. If you have more people in the building, then then you have to make sure that you're, you know, try to get a balance. But at the end of the day, the one that's going to win is the one that requires the focus based on where, where's the most people, you know? If yeah, you sense. are thinking of buying a decibel meter, an SPL meter, <clears throat> Uh, just keep in mind, folks at home, that uh, decibels are logarithmic. So that means that 6 dB is double the volume. So if you're mixing at 95 and you go up to 101, you just double the volume, even though it doesn't seem like much of a big number. Absolutely. I guess that any equipment you buy, read the manual and don't just <laughs> assume that the, 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 the screens and numbers do what you think they're doing. Yeah, wise words. Wow. So it's, this is interesting because Matt... I don't know if you know this, Jason. I think you probably from our last conversation, you do. But Matt's also an engineer, of course, and yep. uh, a teacher in this space as well. So I think it would be cool to have maybe Matt have you some specific questions, either from himself that maybe questions, Matt, that you've encountered over the years from teaching students. Like, what are some of the 
most common questions that new students come to you with? Um, they're, they're usually these days uh, are questions about how do I set up recording from home um, and has been for a while. And I've heard a lot of people in the, because I, I teach audio for film at this point, and I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how you shouldn't invest in a camera because those get outdated very quickly, but you should be investing in sound equipment because we that stuff was sort of give or take not not really but it was we figured it out a while ago you know how to record something if you listen to a recording from from the 50s it you know it sounds better than it looks right that we didn't even have color at that time so i i think it's it's very important for people to know how to record at least dialogue at home if you're doing anything like that um and generally the whole the, the entire industry is democratized, right? Anybody can afford, pretty much anybody can afford a camera. If you can't, your phone is, is pretty great at that. Um, here, here's what I did want to ask you. There was a fire in the AKM factory in Japan, um, which makes all converters. So a, a component of um, most professional audio equipment. Have you been feeling the effect of that because apparently there's now a shortage of audio interfaces during a time where a lot of people want to record from home um there's a shortage of everything to be honest because i i sell like i'm one of the few black magic dealers um in in ontario and and we've had a massive massive shortage of even like um black magic gear like everything's on back order um what kind what kind of gear um video stuff switchers cameras um the the ursa broadcast camera is very popular in the church space um for for a good studio camera um the micro 4k cameras are also very popular um a lot of that stuff is is back ordered with like no delivery date um and i think it's a combination of that but also just the fact that everybody is buying it right now because you know in the past you could go to a studio if you needed to, and but now everybody's trying to get set up from home. Um, yeah, major television networks are buying packages for their reporters to be able to report remotely. Right. Um, okay. So, so there's just a lot of people in the space, and and obviously they're going to give priority to the big companies who are buying an order of a hundred yeah. interfaces, right? Um, right. So, so it has been difficult. I mean, not for me personally because. My studio is set up and I'm not really trying to, I I actually posted this morning that when you own your own studio, and Matt can attest to this, is the slightest improvements you make gets you excited. Like, so like I'm just changing, I'm changing like my screen setup right now because I, I kind of, and this is like totally on a tangent, but um, I, I, I was mixing a song on Monday and I kind of heard this frequency resonating and I put my monitor flat my screen and the frequency went away. So I kind of discovered that I have some frequencies from my, cause my speakers are in a perfect triangle to make sure that my stereo image is like perfect. So I'm not pushing my speakers right. wider. That's just not an option. So I went out and bought <laughs> a 40 inch TV and a TV stand to actually now move my screen behind my speakers. Um, gotcha. So that, so that the path from speakers to ears is, is uninterrupted. Right. And it's, it's like, really- it's never giving ended. people the best tip. Yeah, right? exactly. It, whatever equipment you have, uh, again, unless you're a graduate and you've worked in, in the field for a while, there's a good chance that what you have is fine and you can yeah. work with that. And uh-huh. it's a matter of setup and even something as simple. Dariki uh, was here the other day, the other month, when we were doing kind of the same thing. We were measuring the speakers and seeing what the problem is in the yeah. room you don't need new equipment 90 percent of the time you just need to figure yeah. out how to use it goes back to reading the manual yeah and you can even even t- talking about the room that's an interesting point uh my room is not treated i mean you can see in the you guys can see in the video i have some drape up um it's just like really light drape it's not even like right. velour. like it's not you can see the light through it yeah yeah it's it's really just there to um 
then some of the reflections off of the walls. But you can get started because what happened was in March when COVID happened, um, in that first lockdown, the studio was closed. So normally right. when I get a call to mix a, a track, um, I my my mixing rate goes anywhere from like 750 to 1500 a track, depending on who's calling me right. and what their budget is and if it's a label or if it's dude... Mm-hmm. who's just trying to put out something independent, right? And then right, right. sometimes, it, and some, I'm flexible too. I don't want people to listen to this and say, well, I'm not going to call in because I don't have 750 I've mixed tracks for yeah, $200, yeah. right? It right, depends right. on if it's something that I want to be a part of, if it's a friend of mine, if it's somebody who's trying, I get the sense that, yo, I'm just trying to put this music out. That I'm, I'm very flexible. You can talk to me, right? So you can gotcha, call me and yeah. say, hey, man, this is what I have. If I have the time, I'll do it. It's no problem. And with that said, don't call me and ask me for a favor and then send me a session with 150 tracks. <laughs> We're gonna, I just hate you know, that. You know what I mean? So, so, but you can get started, man. Like, that's how my mm-hmm. studio at home came about is in that first lockdown. I was like, all right, I got to do something because I need a space to work. And, and, and so I just got started, right? Like, you don't have to have the perfect room, but you need to develop certain skills. So something, a mm-hmm. skill like referencing becomes incredibly important. So if you notice... Can you Matt explain what referencing is real quick, sorry? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to go into. Matt, you, if you My notice, bad. Matt and I have the same headphones, right? They're Audio-Technica yeah. ATH M50s. Mine are white. I got them black, too. It's the same exact headphones, right? To, in my opinion, the best It's an homage to for, each other. Yeah, the best headphones for referencing on the market, uh, in my humble opinion, right? They're flat, yeah. sound very good. So what, what, what I do is when I'm mixing in my home, room at home, right? Because I don't have a treated room, because my room is not tuned to perfection like Studio 2 at Metalworks, which in my opinion is the best sounding room in Canada that I've heard, mm. control room. Okay. Um, because I don't have that room, I need to make sure that I reference on multiple sources. So I'll mix through my studio monitors, right? And when I get to a point where I feel like, okay, the mix is pretty close, I listen in these. I listen in my headphones. I listen in my truck. I take it to my truck because I know that's where I spend the most time listening to music is in my truck, right? right. Well, not anymore. I used to because I'd be yeah, on, yeah. now I'm not on the road. I'm at home. But I know what music sounds like in my truck. I know I can tell if there's too much low end or too little low end. Um, I'm going to tell right away when I listen in my truck. So I, I listen in multiple places. And then I have, um, yeah, I have this Slate VSX, which is their new reference headphones. Um, what do you think about those? I, I actually like them. I mean, not every model in there is 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 makes sense. <laughs> but, but just yeah. to kind of go back and forth and listen in different modeled environments is, is, is nice to be able to reference and listen to your track on a few different things. But, but referencing is very important. If you're going to record and mix at home um, and you have a room, and, and there are certain things in your room, your room doesn't necessarily mean reflections off of the wall. It could be something as simple as the HVAC system is loud, so it's, there's a lot of white noise in the room. That's going right. to cloud your judgment as it relates to your high end and, and what you decisions that you make with high frequencies, right? So you need to reference. Again, it's the same as what we were talking about when we talked about mixing for a live stream. If your room right. is problematic, cut the room down, right? Get a good pair of headphones, reference in your headphones. And if it, again, if it sounds good and when you reference um, another tip, here's another hack, um, <clears throat> plug-in alliance makes a plugin called Metric um, Adapter um, AB. I think it's called Adapter AB. It's eight, no vowels in it. So it's A-D-P-T-R, AB. And what that allows you to do is AB tracks. But you can, even when you're mixing, you can you can take a master track, load it in there, and match the volume. Because, you know, we mix. It's not mastered yet, so it, you, right. there might be a volume difference. But then you can go back and forth. So you can listen to a track that you know really well on your B side, and switch back to your mix on the A side and be able to reference and build a reference. It's a phenomenal right. plugin. If you if you don't have it in your arsenal, like Adapter AB, get it. Like go get it right now. It's by Plugin Alliance. It's phenomenal. Um, so referencing is and even when I'm mixing in the studio, when I'm mixing at Metalworks, I'm still referencing. I still have when I sit down to mix a track. A lot of the times, the producer will send me a reference of what they kind of want it to sound like. But I'll also ask for references of stuff that's 
out there, stuff that's mastered, that I can aim right. it against and go, okay, sonically, I'm where I need to be. And I'm always referencing, always a beam, right? Because um, that's right, right. that's it's that's so that's a very important skill to to develop, especially if you want to record and mix at home. You've touched <laughs> on uh, on a few things there that, uh, if you don't mind, I I want to translate them to people who maybe not have the means to get the best headphones right now or, or any plugins right now. So it really is about familiarity. And if you have headphones that are not the best, what's more important is that you know them because it's not like whatever headphones you're listening to is what the audience will listen to. You're just using it to, to have perspective of what's going on. If right. you have headphones that you know well, or you have headphones that you don't know well and it's all you have, the best thing you can do is put those on and listen to music and pay attention. Don't just get high and look away. I mean, you can get high, but pay attention. What is the bass doing on these headphones? What is the guitar doing? Uh, how are the dynamics working? How's distortion sounding through these? As long right. as you're familiar with your system, uh, you, you have a much better chance of whatever it is that's in your head coming out to the rest of the audience. And, and you got to do that with monitors too. Even if you go out today and buy like my, my, my friend Veer, um, good friend of mine, incredible audio engineer has ATC loudspeakers, SM, SCM 50 A's in his studios, the in his studio in Miami, they're like $15,000 Canadian a piece. That's $30,000 worth of monitors, right? Even yeah. if you have those, you still got to learn them. Like you still got to listen right. to music for hours and hours and hours to know exactly what the monitors are giving you in order to good be point. able to make decisions, right? So I think that's a good point that Matt makes is like, no matter what you have right now, where you are, what you're starting with, learn them. Like spend time listening to music, music that you know really well, especially if you know what a song is supposed to sound like and you've listened to it on so many different mediums, then critically listen to that song in your headphones to be able to learn what your headphones are doing or even your monitors, like know what it sounds like in the room. Then you can make mm -hmm. decisions, right? And the other thing that you, you touched on was volume matching, which uh, I, I'm sure you struggle with too when you send uh, an artist a reference oh to something else and they're going, that doesn't sound... Whatever you're comparing, we have a problem as humans uh, called mm -hmm. the Fletcher-Munson curve or the loudness curve right. where we are – I'm talking to the audience. Obviously, you, you know this mm -hmm. many times over. Um, basically, what happens with humans is we don't hear what's actually happening. We have our own interpretation using our brain and ear canal shapes and, and all that. And what it comes down to is louder sounds better pretty much to every human. So if you're comparing – uh, another mix to what you're doing, unless you're volume matching it, you might as well not even do it. Right? Exactly. Make sure that exactly. whatever you're comparing or if you have an EQ on that you're messing with, if it's raising a lot of volume and you're going to AB what it sounded like before, you're going to like it more if it's louder. So always make sure to trim the volume down and compare things at the same volume, no matter what they are. Otherwise, you just, you're... You're not being objective. Right. And what I've started doing is like when I get a when I get a track to mix from an artist or a producer, I will actually master it. Like I will send it to my mastering guy because I don't master before I send it to the artist and take the risk. Right. Because I am like I, I, I've, I've built a, a certain confidence in my mixing ability. So I will actually take the risk of sending it out to be mastered first. Um, and then send it to the artist. And if I need revisions, I'll pay the mastering engineer for an alternate master, right? Wow, um, so I kind confidence. of build that into a price. It, well, the reason why I do that is because I understand when I send out mixes, bro, before doing that, like every time the, the artist is like, nah, I don't know, man. Meanwhile, the mix is like rocking because in my yeah, studio, yeah, yeah. I have a monitor controller. My monitors are loud enough where I can get them up to a level where I can listen to it loud, like what Matt's saying, yeah. right? But they might just be listening in headphones and it's really low because I print my mixes like minus 18. Like I print my mixes low because I have a really good mastering guy that I use that I want to leave all that compression and loudness and i want to leave that to him because he's uh that's what he does right okay. i i don't so i don't want to print into, who do you use shout him out uh dwayne summers midi lord uh mastering out of miami florida he's my guy 
Um, very, very reasonable. But also, what I like about Dwayne is that um, he started as a mixed guy, and 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 I mean, he's worked with some incredible people. Worked with Sean Paul, a whole bunch of people. But um, I just love how my tracks sound when they come back. But not only that, he also gives me a whole bunch of different formats. Which some mastering houses, you got to pay for those. You got to pay extra for those. Like he just includes that. So I'll get a high res um, Apple Apple codec for like what used to be called mastered for iTunes, which I think now is called something different, but Apple approved master. He's, he's approved to do that. So I get a bunch of different formats that I can upload to the different places. Um, and it'll sound good on everything. So, so that's, you know, that's why, and, and he's just a great guy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a guy that you, you, when you go, you work with certain mastering houses, you may never talk, like you go to Sterling Sound. I, I got some um, tracks mastered by Chris Geringer. You never talk to him. Like I've never spoken to him because you, you talk to his <laughs> project manager. And, <laughs> right? You, you know, because sometimes as a mixed engineer, like even if you, the cool thing about having a good mastering guy that you trust too, is Dwayne will actually hit me and say, yo, in the track I'm hearing like a little bit of distortion. It could be this reprinted. Right. And I'll and I'll say, all right, cool. Thanks. So we have that kind of relationship. We build that kind of relationship. So so that's where that confidence comes from, um, is that I can I can send a mix to him and say, all right, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is done. I want to get this mastered. And he'll hit me back and say, all right, maybe maybe lower the vocal 0.5 dB or a dB or whatever and then send it back. So by the time we send it to the artist, we've done like a whole back and forth sometimes um, and made some revisions. So when I send it to the artist, if they have any major, major revisions, um, I might make that mix change and then pay him for an alternate master. Or sometimes the artist, it might not be major enough where he has to remaster the song. He might be able to run the, 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 the re mix revision through the same EQ, same compression, everything, and it'll be fine because the revision is not major. But I just find right. that sending, when you send mixes out to artists, it, 90% of the time, I'm just trying to educate them on mm. why it's they're like, it's so low. Yeah, because it's not mastered yet, bro. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. So so I just yeah. find if you master it first, you know, I, 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 again, if you have like a great relationship with a mastering engineer, if you're sending a mastering engineer four songs a month, right? Like it, he's, there's going to be some leeway, you know what I mean? If you're doing one song every six months, it might not be as much, but Ask right. the question, you know, like have the conversations. The worst they can say is no, right? Got you. Fair. <clears throat> I uh, would love to talk to you a lot more about mastering, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions on it um, that need to be brought to light. I uh, mm -hmm. know uh, you're you're running out of time here, so just maybe last question, and then we'll we'll have you shout out all all your socials and and, and tell the audience any anything else you'd like to tell them. Um, I think that the word mastering should be changed because it causes a lot of confusion uh, amongst the consumers. Um, one of which being that they budget a lot of money for this very important sounding process, which it is. And because mixing doesn't sound as um, authoritative, I guess, uh, often uh, indie bands and, and, and even some, some pros don't budget enough for the mix because they think the magic happens in the master. What do you have to say to that? Um, I think it's a, it's definitely a hand in hand process, but mastering takes your, your mix from good to great or from great to excellent, right? Like it really finishes that process, but, but you can't have a killer track without a killer mix and, and you can't have a killer track without a killer, killer master. Right. Like it, it's got to be both. Right. Um, as a mix engineer, I try to get my tracks sounding as close to perfect when I send it off the mastering. So he doesn't really need to do a wholesale like re EQ of my mix or right. I print very lightly through bus compression. So I, I, I again, we have to remember that mastering mastering is a highly specialized skill. So. Uh, mastering engineers normally, because they're dealing with only mastering a two-track, um, it's 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 really high-end gear. Like for example, a lot, like my mastering guys use my mastering guy Dwayne uses a lot of manly stuff, so he has a manly uh, massive passive EQ variable MU compressor that kind of stuff. As a mix engineer, there's no way 
I can have a manly EQ for every channel on my mix. You get what I'm saying? Like it, it in a mastering studio, it, it's you're dealing with twos, right? So he, he, he may have a stereo, like a really high-end stereo compressor, a really high-end stereo EQ. Um, so it's just taking that mix and just adding that little bit of extra um, to it. And especially for a lot of people who mix in the box, having a great mastering guy is going to really Sorry, push you your tracks over the there. edge. Because if you're stuck. mixing solely oh, in the box, your tracks are going to sound kind of sterile. Right, they're gonna sound yeah. really digital, and usually a mastering guy is gonna take that, run it through some analog gear, it's gonna add some harmonics, it's gonna gonna make your low end a lot richer, your high end sparkle a lot more. Um, it it really takes your track and opens it up, and 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 really takes it to that next level. So um, yeah, I think it's a hand in hand process, but. A really good ma- man, you can get really good mastering engineers and not be breaking the bank like. Like it's it's crazy. People just automatically assume that okay, if I if I if I want a really good mastering engineer, I'm gonna have to break the bank. You don't, you don't. Like you can. There's really good mastering engineers in the city in Toronto that master for a hundred dollars per track to a hundred and fifty dollars a track, um, and that's that's kind of equivalent mm-hmm. to what a lot of the good guys in the states are. Charging, but even even right. like Chris Geringer at Sterling Sound, and Chris Geringer has mastered everybody. He's he gets like two Grammy nominations every year. Like the dude is like a beast. You get his right. independent right. rate is only two hundred and fifty bucks US. So I mean, we're not talking about like a massive massive amount. If you're spending seven hundred dollars on a mix, or let's say you're even spending five hundred dollars on a mix, to me, in my opinion, to spend another two hundred dollars to take that mix really over the top and have your track sound r- incredible go from just being a great track to being incredible it's mm-hmm. worth it right so so i always kind of educate and prepare people when they come to me for a mix to say it's not just about what you're spending on the mix but you're gonna have to spend x on the master and i prefer to not mix the track unless it's my guy mastering it because i kind of know where mm-hmm. it's gonna because it's part also my reputation, right? I don't want to sure. put my mix by red sticker on a track and then the master sucks, right? Because yeah. it can really make or break. It can really make or break your track. And that's something people should consider a lot as they're budgeting for their project. Well, Jason, uh, things are starting to cutting out here, which I think is a, is a sign from the heavens that yeah. we should let you go. That's <laughs> uh, Could you shout out uh, your your socials let us know who you'd like to check out what artists you're working on anything you want to let the audience know sure um i mean i'm uh, predominantly an instagram guy so you can find me on instagram at engineer underscore reds with a z so r-e-d-z so check me out on instagram um what am i working on i don't know if i can release that information yet but also check yeah. out the companies i endorse I'm an artist endorser, so Groove Gear, um, G-R-U-V Gear, uh, Radial Engineering. I use only radial DI boxes and a whole bunch of other cool products that they have. Um, if you're a home studio owner, you should check out Radial's Power Series. Uh, there you go, Radial. Um, their Power their power Series, their new Power Series of rack-mountable um, power conditioners is fantastic. Um, I use JH Audio in-air monitors, iConnectivity interfaces. And I'm also a DPA, a member of the DPA Masters Club, which is um, DPA, in my opinion, makes the best microphones. So yeah, check check out the those 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 companies. And we I do have some projects coming out. Like we I've been doing a lot of artist development stuff. So the a lot of the projects nice. that I'm mixing are younger, newer artists, and and they okay. haven't really decided on. We have projects that are finished, but release releases haven't been. Um, finalized and all that stuff yet, you know, For they got to sure. do yeah, press yeah. kits and photo shoots and yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll just say, follow me on Instagram and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very active on Instagram for the most part. So check me out on Instagram at engineer underscore reds, R E D Z. And yeah, all the information will be there in due time. Sweet. Thanks so much, man. Man, listening to you talk, you can hear the passion come through from what, in what you do. Uh, not everybody gets a chance to do what they love for a living. So you're truly yeah. an inspiration. And thanks for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate it, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm I'm grateful. I'm definitely grateful to, to get to do what I do. And 
I think we might need a part three now because we didn't really get a, yeah, one yeah, hour yeah. passes so quickly. Too. Like you, that feels like I'm full of information, like man. It's awesome. We yeah, definitely we'll, want to have, we'll have you, you back, back again, man. Talk about some of especially those when shows start sure. again. We want to hear more about that whole process. Yeah, yeah post COVID. Anytime, man. I always like talking to you guys. So really, really All appreciate right, you spending the time, man. Thank you. Sorry, someone's at our door. Thank you so much, yeah. Jason. Oh, yeah, uh, stay safe and hopefully we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, definitely. You guys as well. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.